Well, this morning, we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Brothers Keeper. And uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what does that really look like? What does it mean for me and you to be our brother's keeper, to really love one another with the love of God? And, and I'm just going to say to you today, I believe this message uh, is pivotal in the sense that I think that this message is really about alignment. That God really does want to align us with the work that he is doing. Jesus made an amazing statement about the Father. He said, my Father is always at work. How many know God's always at work? Can I get an amen from somebody today? God is always at work. But here's the good news. The good news is because God's always at work, we don't have to ask God to bless what we're doing. We can just start doing what God is blessing. Right? We don't have to ask God to bless what we're doing. We just need to start doing what God is blessing. We need to join the work that God is doing in the earth. And I believe today as we kind of lay the foundation uh, for this series that this message is really all about alignment. It's about how do we align ourselves with what God is doing in the earth today. How many of you know we are living in some strategic times? We are living in some pivotal times. We're living in a world uh, that is really on the precedence of some real change that could and maybe should happen in our generation. And we have an opportunity to be a part of doing what God is doing in the earth to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So look with me in Genesis chapter 4 because Genesis chapter 4 is the context of the scripture where we get that phrase, brother's keeper. It says, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. I want to stop there for just a second. Uh, because I want you to understand something. This one scripture gives us a simple declaration. Number one, marriage, sex, and children in that order is God's idea. Marriage, sex, and children in that order is God's idea. And it's not only God's idea to replenish and fill the earth, but it's also God's idea to create healthy a healthy society that is life-giving and produces the things that God would have it to produce. Now, I want to ask you guys to do something with me this morning. And that is, I want to ask you to join me in prayer. As you guys saw in the announcements, and we've been doing this now uh, since, I think, November of last year, the Lord really stirred our heart to begin to come together for a time of monthly corporate prayer. And we've dedicated the first Saturday of every month in Arab and the first Sunday of every month in Holly Pond for one hour of corporate prayer where we gather together to pray specifically for our church, our community, our families, and our nation and the nations of the world. World. And since January of this year, one of our points of prayer has been that we have been praying for the sanctity of life. And if you guys are watching the news in any way, form, or fashion, you know that in the last couple weeks, there's some information that's been leaked out, supposedly. And it looks like, in reality, there is a very real opportunity that Roe versus Wade, which was the legalization of abortion in America, could actually be overturned. Now, that doesn't mean the fight's going to go away. The fight's still going to be there as it's going to come down to a local, state level. But this is a monumental moment in the history of our nation because since 1970, 50 million babies have been aborted. 
And I fact-checked myself just to make sure I was giving you an accurate number this morning. Actually, it's over 50 million babies since 1973 have been aborted in America. 50 million babies who have never breathed their first breath outside of the womb. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about not just 50 million babies, but 50 million moms and dads who never held their newborn in their arms. 50 million moms and dads who are walking around with scars on the inside because of the choices and decisions they've made. Kelly and I have been passionate for 30 years, and in 30 years we've counseled a lot of people that have had abortions or even men that have participated in encouraging their girlfriend to get an abortion. And I can tell you every time that we've talked with people that have walked through that choice and that decision, there are scars and there are wounds and there is baggage that people carry. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you've had an abortion or you participated in abortion, I want you to know something. We love you. We love you. And one of the things we're going to see from the scripture this morning is we're going to recognize that God values life, every life. The life of a child in the womb and the life of a person who's made a decision that took the life of a child in the womb. God loves you and we want to help you. We want to stand in the face of abortion, but we also want to stand along the side of those who have made those choices and help them find healing and restoration through the grace of God because our God heals. Can I get an amen from somebody today? And I really just felt like the Lord said, Keith, you need to just be really clear. I want you to know that if you're a part of Liberty Church, Liberty Church is a pro-life, sanctity of life church. Unapologetically, we are standing for life. And if you go to your Liberty Church app on that main homepage, you're going to see a little tab there that says May Prayer Focus. And if you'll click on that May Prayer Focus and scroll down to the bottom, you'll see the last prayer we're praying this month is a prayer we've been praying since January, and that is for the sanctity of life, that God would turn the hearts of the kings like a river, that he would turn the hearts of Supreme Court justices, that they would vote for the sanctity of life because every life has value, because every person was created in the image and likeness of God. I heard a quote from Ronald Reagan this week I thought was so powerful. Ronald Reagan said this. He said, isn't it interesting that every person that is in favor of abortion has already been born? So today I want to just encourage you. God is the orchestrator and organizer and the creator of marriage between one man and a woman. Sex in the context of marriage. And children as the blessing of the Lord over that covenant between a man and his wife. And God loves life. Amen. And every life matters to him. Look at verse 2. It says, And later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd and Cain cultivated the ground. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Let me just tell you something real quick. God doesn't give participation awards. God accepted Abel's offering, and God rejected Cain's offering and it had nothing to do with his love for them I want you to hear something significant the Holy Spirit whispered this in my heart this week and I'll just be honest with you I'm still wrestling over it a few days later it's wrecked my heart just to be honest with you because this is what he said he said Keith 
He said, worship is not giving God what we want. Worship is giving God what He requires. And God accepted Abel's offering because Abel gave God what he required. God rejected Cain's offering because Cain gave God what he wanted, not what he required. And here's what's interesting. Cain became dejected and angry. And as I read that, the Lord just showed me an image of so many people in the Christian church. Have you ever seen somebody get mad at God? Because they were giving God all that they wanted to give, but they weren't getting from God the thing they expected to get. I mean, you hear it in our prayers. And here's the challenge, is that if we're not careful, we will be deceived into thinking that worship is about giving God what I want, when in reality, worship is about giving God what He requires. One of my favorite quotes from Lou Giglio, who pastors a church over in Atlanta, Passion Church. He said one day he had a guy come up to him after service and said, Pastor, I just want you to know I didn't enjoy the worship today. And Lou Giglio looked at him. He said, well, that's okay. He said, because we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> See, we have this idea that somehow we get to define worship. And we define worship by what we want instead of by what God requires and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth that's the worship that God requires God's not looking for a style or a venue God is looking for a heart and a posture that says in spirit and in truth God I will magnify and bless your name and so I want to just challenge us this morning just to make sure to check our hearts if you find yourself frustrated at God, are you frustrated at God because you gave God what you wanted to give Him and you didn't get what you expected to get? Or are you frustrated with God because you really gave Him what He required? I found out that when I give God what He requires, God always does what He said He'll do. How many know He watches over His Word to perform it? That God is faithful to do everything that He's promised to do. And when there is a disconnect between what I offer God and what I receive from God, it's usually in my offering... <laughs> Not in his faithfulness to his word. So look at the next verse. God says to Cain, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Look at verse 7. You will be accepted if you do what is right. You will be accepted if you do what is right. Listen to what God says to Cain. He says, Cain, he said, I didn't reject you because I don't love you. And I didn't reject you because I don't like the crops of the field. I rejected you because you didn't do what was right. You knew what I required and you didn't give it. You knew what I requested and you didn't offer it. And all of a sudden we recognize something. God is trying to bring some clarity to Cain. Hey, Cain, it's not about you. I don't have a vindictive heart against you. I love you, Cain. You matter to me. You would be accepted if you did what was right. But then look what else he says. He says, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Listen to what God's doing right here. God in his love is confronting Cain and he is giving him a word of warning. He says, you know what, Cain? I see something in your heart that doesn't need to be there. And Cain, I want you to know sin is crouching at your door. 
There's a snare, there's a trap, there's a temptation from the enemy that's right there. And Cain, I'm just warning you, there's something going on on the inside of you that doesn't need to be going on. And if you don't subdue it and master it, then you'll be taken captive by this sin. I'm so thankful that God loves us that much, aren't you? And I was actually thinking back over my life this week, and I was thinking over some of the dumb decisions I've made. How many of you have ever made a dumb decision? Come on, agree with your pastor today. Praise God, I'm not alone. So I was thinking back over the dumb decisions I've made, and you know what I recognize? Before I made that dumb decision, there was a divine warning. God was speaking to me. God was even sending people into my life to speak to me. God was putting up roadblocks to try to keep I was headed down. He saw some things in my heart that didn't need to be there. He saw the direction of my life that didn't need to be there. And God started speaking and God started warning and God started putting roadblocks and people in my way. And what I recognize is that unfortunately through the hardness of my heart, I just barreled through it. And ended up making some choices and decisions that I ultimately regretted making. But as I look back, I just saw the mercy of God. I saw the grace of God. I recognize that even when my heart wasn't right, God was still, in, still trying to do right by me. And even when your heart's not right, He's still trying to do right by you. And if you and I will learn just to listen in those moments, there's a word of warning and instruction from God trying to prevent us from doing something that we're ultimately going to regret doing. Look at the next verse. It says, and one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain didn't receive the instruction of the Lord. Cain didn't receive the direction that God wanted to give him. Verse 9, and afterwards the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Here's the quote that we're building our message on. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where Abel is. Am I my brother's keeper? Let me go ahead and answer the question. Yes, you are. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see you and I. We are our brother's keepers. Verse 10, And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. Look at that first point. I want you to see this today. As Christians, we have a moral and a spiritual responsibility to be our brother's keeper. We have a moral and a spiritual responsibility. We have a moral responsibility because we're people, right? We're humans. We're part of the human race. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you still have a moral responsibility to be your brother's keeper. How many know we should never stand idly by and watch someone be abused or neglected or suffer need and not do something to help those that are around? Even without Christ as Lord of our life, we have a moral obligation because we are human beings. But if you're here today, and I know most of you are here today as born-again believers in Christ, if you're watching me this morning and you're a believer in Jesus, not only do we have a moral, but we also have a spiritual responsibility to be our brother's keeper. We are commanded by God to love one another. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. A new commandment. Why? Because the old commandment said, Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. Y'all remember that? 
Love God with all your mind, soul, spirit, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. Let me tell you why Jesus raises the bar. He raises the bar because sometimes it's hard to love your neighbor as yourself when you really don't love yourself. Jesus raises the bar on this love one another commandment because he knows, unfortunately, many people are going to struggle loving somebody else because they don't love themselves. And if I'm supposed to love you the way I love me, well, that may not feel good for you. Because <laughs> it may not feel good for me. I meet a lot of people who walk around with a not feel good reality of who they are. <laughs> with a lot of self-condemnation and self-judgment and self-accusation. And then they start treating people the way they treat themselves. And it's just not good. <laughs> so Jesus in his wisdom raises the bar. Jesus in his wisdom said, hey, I want to give you a new commandment. And here's the greatness about the new commandment. In the new commandment, Jesus removes us from the equation. <laughs> he says, your love for other people is no longer going to be based on anything to do with you. It's going to be 100% based on everything to do with me. Look what he said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Look at that next point. So in the scope of all that's happening in our world today... Why does this matter? In, in the midst of war in the Ukraine, in the midst of maybe the overthrow of Roe versus Wade, in the midst of chaos and confusion and rising interest rates and, and, and the idea of what is unknown on the other side of where we are right now, why in the world should we spend the next few weeks talking about being our brother's keeper? Because I believe this is the very thing that's going to set us apart for the work that God is wanting to do in the earth. Listen to this. Why does it matter? It matters because the closer we get to the end, the closer we get to the end of this age, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the closer we get to the end of this world as we know it. Listen to me today. The closer we get to the end, the more we are going to need each other and the more the world will need to see Jesus. The closer we get to the end of the age and the return of Christ, the more we're going to need each other as Christians and the more the world is going to need to see Jesus who is the hope of the world. I had an opportunity this past week to listen to a podcast. Uh, Chris Hodges, who's the pastor of Church of the Highlands, was interviewing a, a gentleman. He's been a missionary for over 45 years. He is a biblical scholar, and he is a historian on church history. And this gentleman was not only, not only powerful in his presentation, but you could sense the anointing of God as he communicated upon his life. And you can go out and check that out on Pastor Chris Hodges on the Highlands page. But it was an amazing interview. And this gentleman, who'd been around the world and serving global missions for over 45 years, made this statement. He said, I believe that what the church does, the church's response in the next two to three years, is going to determine whether or not in the next seven to ten years we are in World War III. He said, I believe what the church does in the next two to three years is going to determine whether in the next seven to ten years whether we're in World War III. Think about that. My newborn grandson would be ten years old and may literally be a ten-year-old growing up in the middle of World War III. 
That's the reality. Now, I, I don't know if he's accurate or on point, but this is what I do know. I do know that the spiritual condition and climate of the world is determined by the church. And I do know that it is the condition of the church that dictates the culture of the world. The church is not a thermostat that reflects, a, a thermometer that reflects the world. The church is the thermostat that sets the culture of the world. And when you recognize the church, hear me today, the church is God's governmental authority in the earth. How does his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's not through the White House. It's not through the schoolhouse. It's through the church house. The church is the governmental authority of God on the earth. So we set the climate and we create the culture and we help to determine when and how things will unfold. Not just in our lives, not just in our nation, but in the nations of the world. And so I don't know if his prediction of seven to ten years is right, but I believe that his declaration about the significance of the church is dead on. And what we do in the next few years is going to be critical to what will unfold in our world. And the closer we get to the end of the age, the more we will need each other. And let me tell you why that is. Because the world needs a strong church. The world needs a strong church. And in order for the church to be strong, we've got to strengthen one another. And if the world, if the church is going to pierce the darkness and reach an end time harvest, then we've got to be stronger than we've ever been in order to reach a world that will be more lost than it's ever been. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. And I want you to listen to how he describes the last days. I want you to listen how important it is that we love each other. How important it is that we encourage one another. How important it is that we strengthen one another. How important it is that we are our brother's keeper and that we actually care for one another. Let me tell you why it's so important. Because listen to the condition of the world in the last days. For people will, only, will love only themselves and their money. They'll be selfish and greedy. They will be boastful and proud. Scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred, not marriage between a man and a woman, not a baby in a womb, and not even your biological gender will be sacred anymore. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. Which means they'll do whatever they want to do because they feel like doing it. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure more than God. 
And they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. In the last days. The closer we get to the end of the age, the more we're going to need each other. The more loving and encouraging and supporting and the more committed we have got to be to brotherly love. We've got to recognize that what the world needs more than anything is a strong church. And to be a strong church, the church has to care for one another so we can reach a world that is deceived by sin. The words he used to describe the last day should not be a picture of the church. The church should stand in contrast of that unloving, uncaring, unforgiving generation and we should be a light in the darkness that becomes a beacon of hope that says you can come here and you can find what you've been looking for. His name is Jesus. Amen. Look at that next thought. So one of the defining marks of end times is selfish, self-centered, cold-hearted individuals attacking and persecuting others for the sake of personal gain. Listen to how Jesus describes the end. Matthew 24, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming or the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many, many false prophets, many false teachers, many ideologies. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. And they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and they will betray one another and they will hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. The church's existence grows more and more significant as we move into the last days. The role that we play is more critical now than it has ever been in the earth. Because in the last days, selfish, self-centered, cold-hearted individuals will still kill and destroy. They'll attack and persecute and devour. Right now, we have a self-loving, greedy dictator in Russia trying to take something that doesn't belong to him. And the realization is that those are the signs of the time that are indicators and encouragers for us as Christians. That right now, we need to be stronger more committed, more dedicated, more all in than we've ever been before in our lives because we're going to need each other 
And the world's going to need the church to be strong and be the church that stands. Amen? The defining mark, next point. The defining mark of Christianity is not just what we believe, but how we behave in response to one another. What we believe is significant. We've got to be doctrinally sound. We've got to have our faith rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And the doctrine of our faith and the truths of Scripture have got to be paramount. But I want you to understand, way too many Christians celebrate what they believe but what they believe doesn't dictate how they behave. And if my behavior doesn't match my belief, then probably my belief is really just a confession of faith and not a reality of faith that impacts my life. Because one of the defining marks according to Jesus of our faith is not just that we believe the right thing, but that we respond the right way in light of what we believe. And Jesus said, Mark 13, 34, And by this will all men know that you are my disciples, because you have love for one another. It's the fact that we care for one another. It's the fact that we support one another. It's the fact that we don't abandon each other in our darkest hours that sets us apart. The fact that we're not selfish and we're not self-centered and we're not cold-hearted, but we are tender and compassionate and caring, not only to our own, but to those that have yet to know who Jesus is. Amen? That is the defining mark of Christianity because love covers a multitude of sin and we need each other and the world needs us. I want you to hear that. We need each other and the world needs us. The world needs Liberty Church to be strong. The world needs Liberty Church to be committed. The world needs Liberty Church to arise and shine for the glory of God. Amen. This is not a time to draw back. This is not a time to take it easy. This is a time to press in. Because the world needs the church to be the church now more than ever. Look at our last scripture together. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10. 1 Peter 4, 7 is the foundation of our corporate prayer. We already saw it this morning. Listen to what the apostle Peter said. He said, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The end of the world is coming soon. So I want you to hear this. The apostle Peter is giving us end time instructions. He said, in light of what is about to happen, this is how you should live. In light of what is about to unfold, the end of the world is coming soon. So the apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, this is how you should live. Listen to it. The end of the world is coming soon, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in, who need a meal or a place to stay. And God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts, so use them well to serve one another. Look at that last point on your outline if you're a note taker today. So here's our end time instructions. Our end time instruction is to be earnest and disciplined in our prayers. Be earnest and disciplined. The word earnest means to be heartfelt. It's a genuine, it's a passionate prayer. It has meaning and feeling. 
Don't be religious. Don't just pray what you pray because that's what you pray. We used to tell our kids we'd go around the dinner table at night and, and they'd have to bless the food and we'd take turns blessing the food and, and they would pray that little generic prayer. We'd call it popping the can. You're just going to pop the can, pour out the same prayer you poured out to God last week. How many know God wants some earnest prayer? He wants some heartfelt prayer. And I'm thankful that God hears the earnest prayer of his people. Let me give you this simple example. I, I had an opportunity to travel. I, I flew up to Chicago and went to Indiana for a few days this past week. And, and when I flew up to Chicago on my plane ride, I had an opportunity to, to witness and share the gospel with a young man from Huntsville. And when I was flying back, coming back from Chicago, flying home to Huntsville on Tuesday night, uh, in the, in the uh, terminal there, I was talking to a couple, and they had been in Lyra. They're not in Lyra. They had been in Uganda. Because their 28-year-old daughter had started a mission three or five years ago to help single women in Africa know the love of God and begin to build businesses. And they had been over there visiting their daughter. And as I was talking to them, they had been traveling for over 35 hours. They were exhausted. They were on the last little leg of their journey, a little hour and a half flight before we got back to Huntsville. And then they had to drive home to Muscle Shoals. Well, we're getting on the airplane, and they're in front of me, and we're walking down the little aisles, and we're going through the first class section, and it's completely empty except for one lady sitting on the very back row. And I prayed a little earnest prayer. I said, Lord, have them move this couple up front so they can relax and rest on this last leg of their journey. I mean, not even a 30-second prayer, but from my heart, I just prayed that prayer. We got back, we were getting ready to get our seats, and the wife sat down, and there was a lady sitting beside her in the window seat, in the man's seat. Her husband's was behind them, one row in the window seat. And, and they asked the lady, would you mind to swap seats? You'd still be by the window, just one seat back so my husband can sit by me. And the lady said, no, I don't want to move. About that time, the little stewardess saw it. She said, sir, if you don't care, come on back here to the back. We'll get you took care of. He goes to the back. I get my seat. And a few minutes later, that stewardess comes walking up there with that man. She grabs that woman. She walks him right up front to first class. <laughs> Sits him in that little seat. And I just start praising God right there. I just say, thank you, Lord, for just a simple, I mean, a 30-second earnest prayer from my heart. Because you know what? Your heart matters when you pray. And if we love one another, we'll pray earnestly. If I care about you, my prayers will have a passion in my heart that will burn. And it doesn't have to be a big prayer and it doesn't have to be a long prayer. It can just be an earnest prayer. And then he says, be earnest and disciplined. I, I, I love spontaneous prayer. That was a spontaneous prayer. Let me tell you something. Specific needs require strategic prayer. And we're going to talk a little over the next couple of weeks about how, how do we develop an earnest, disciplined prayer life because it is so powerful part of us loving each other is that we pray for one another prayer changes things I believe that and then he goes on he says so the end of the world is coming soon so be earnest and disciplined in your prayers and then he says look what he says in verse 9 and verse 10 he says and cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay and verse 10 he says and use the gifts that God has given you to serve one another so the way that we show deep love and affection for one another is by praying and then by sharing and serving each other we share what we have and we serve from the gifts that God has given us and we're gonna spend the next few weeks talking about how do we do that 
How do we develop earnest, disciplined prayer? How do we share and serve others with the love of God? Why? Because we are our brother's keeper. And the world needs the church to be stronger now than it's ever been. Because a strong church can reach a broken world. And in the last days, difficult times are going to come. But in the last days, I believe the church is going to rise. And we're going to be what God's called us to be. Amen? Let's just bow our heads today. I want to just challenge you today, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching us online, I want to ask you a question this morning. The million-dollar question of every sermon that's ever preached is simply this. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Everything else that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is significant and relevant only if you've been born again. Because if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then all the prayers and all the sharing and all the serving all come short. Because our hope is not how hard we try. Our hope is in what He did. And He died that you and I might be forgiven, set free, and have eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible calls it being born again or saved. The Bible says, here's the good news, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. God loves you. And maybe you're on the wrong road, and maybe you've been hearing the warning signs of the Lord. And today God has sent me here today for this reason, to give you a clear step to take to know God and be saved. So if that's you today, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want you just to raise your hand. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. This is just your opportunity to be real with God. I'm going to raise my hand today. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. If you're watching online, just hit that hand emoji, type in that chat box, I'm raising my hand. But if you're in the room today, you can just slip your hand up right now. Just slip your hand up. It's an act of faith. That's what it is. Today I want to raise my hand in faith because I believe I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus is that Savior. His hands are slipping up. Our ushers are going to come. They're going to put a little packet in your hand if you're raising your hand. Because we want to give you something to take home to help you take that next step. We love you this morning, and you matter to God. So right now, we're going to pray this prayer. If you raised your hand, I want you to pray it with me. I'm going to ask everybody in this room to say it out loud with me today. If you're watching online and you raised your hand, let's say this prayer. Here we go together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. We love you guys so much. If you raise your hand and you got a packet, there's a card on the front of that. If you take a moment and fill that out, give that to one of our ushers on the way out of service today. We'd love to follow up with you. I personally... We'd love to help you take that next step in the Lord. God bless you today. Have a